you need to own your own data. I'm sure everybody listening to this has heard that at some point. Mm -hmm. And I would argue quite strongly and probably also mockingly that that doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Or or at best requires a a much bigger, uh, it, it has presuppositions of some technological environment in which it does mean something. But the people who say it don't, you know, they don't even know that they don't mean that. They think they mean something, but it's just like, it comes out as gibberish. Mm-hmm. But unless you provide that context, and I think actually the perfect segue now is that Bitcoin allows you to try to articulate what that context might be mm. in, in real terms rather than just in slogans. Right. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start uh, a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor-based, so all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by N. Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Alan Farrington and Sasha Myers, welcome back to the What Is Money show. Thank you. Glad to be back. Glad to have you guys back. Uh, We're going to continue our journey into your excellently written book. gets more impressive the more I read, uh, titled Bitcoin is Venice, subtitle Essays on the Past and Future of Capitalism. And last time we mainly focused on chapter one, and this time we're jumping ahead to chapters seven and eight. Uh, These episodes might be released out of order, so who knows if I'm referring to last episode or not, but um, you guys will be able to figure it out by the titles of the episode. And so one thing I thought was really interesting here in chapter seven, because we talked a lot about definitions last time, right? Defining 
capital, capitalism, etc. Um, in chapter seven, you talk about what I call these, I call them natural data monopolies. And we can talk about whether that term is correct or not. Um, like Facebook, Google, or probably the two biggest ones to pick on. Um, and whether or not those are indicative of market failure or failures of capitalism or, you know, what's going on basically with these things. And so I'll, I'll just read an excerpt here to get rolling. And again, I like reading the excerpts because I think your guys writing is, is really good. Um, it's verbose, but kind of pithy at the same time, but also educating. So I really, I, I like the style. Um, you guys wrote quote, Facebook and Google are not standard oil and AT&T. They operate business models whose network effects tend towards monopoly due to continuous redeployment of increasing returns to scale. Users pay not with money, but with data, which Facebook and Google then turn into productive capital that creates products for another group entirely. The quality of the service to the users, the unknowing and hence unrewarded capital providers, scales quadratically with the size of the network and so in combination with being free in monetary terms this means that any serious attempt to compete would require monumental monumentally more capital than could ever generate a worthwhile return the proper regulatory approach is not to cut off the heads of these hydras one at a time but to acknowledge that these are fundamentally new economic entities so this would be, I guess, my first question is like, what when you say fundamentally new economic entities, I think you've done a great job describing what's happening here, specifically in this line. They tend towards monopoly due to the continuous redeployment of increasing returns to scale. So what is it about Facebook and Google, again, picking on those two, that makes them fundamentally different than all the economic entities that have come before them? And do they or do they not represent a failure of capitalism in that they tend towards uh, monopolies? I think just off the bat, I wouldn't overplay exactly how new they are. I don't think our claim is like, oh, we, we, you know, we've never seen anything like this before such that we can't even comprehend it or, or something like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's more that they have, you know, this term network effects that I think is arguably maybe slightly overused, but in this case, I think it's, it's very appropriate to use it. It's, it's more that their construction is such that they have a network effect that is arguably stronger than anything mm -hmm. we've seen before. So they are, they are quite radically new in some sense, but not, uh, not completely, you know, we're still perfectly mm -hmm. capable of, of understanding them. Um, you also asked, is it, is it a failure of markets? You know, how do we think of it in terms of capital? I, I, I really don't think so. And actually, this sort of irks me in, in more popular, let's say more mainstream commentary about, you know, what's allegedly bad about Google and Facebook. Um, I make two separate points here. So one one is that I have a lot of sympathy for uh, the 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 more social element of the argument. And we, we do go into that a little bit later in, in those sections. You know, we, we quite favorably quote uh, Zuboff, um, uh, what was the name for it? The, the Age of Surveillance Capitalism and Lanier, uh, Who Owns the Future? 
uh, and a couple of other similar writers like that. I think there's a perfectly good case to be made there uh, that they make, you know, as well as as we would happen. That it, it isn't original on our part. Um, what irks me isn't that it's mistaking that for an economic argument, which actually I think in some of those cases, even Zuboff in particular does do that. I think that's that's a flaw in in her analysis. Uh, less so Lanier. Um, and uh, Morozov is the other one, less so in his case. Um, I think that maybe to link it quite nicely to, to Bitcoin as well, it's certainly, you know, what they represent certainly isn't any kind of market failure, at the very least because they're incredibly highly valued. I don't, I don't mean like the market caps of the companies, although in, in some sense that is, that's mm-hmm. kind of the downstream proof of how much they're valued. You know, they have those market caps because they generate an enormous amount of profit because people do in fact find them incredibly valuable in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, as is revealed by their actions in the marketplace. And so the link to Bitcoin though, I think is that where all of these properties intersect, so the the toxic, so, or the, the allegedly toxic, well, some people would claim to be toxic social influence, the, the new economic form um, and, you know, indirectly where we can bring Bitcoin into it is is just that they they have found a way to create capital that I guess in that sense is new as well. And so there was a bit about that in the quote you read that, you know, most of the provision of uh, whether you want to think of it directly as capital or, or what goes into creating the capital mm-hmm. is being done in a very new way. And I think that's sort of the starting point for a lot of the, the social consequences people object to but nonetheless it is creating enormously valuable capital mm-hmm. so it is it's very clearly evidence you know in the market that this is valued and sorry i've teased this a few times without actually getting onto it i think the link to bitcoin is that the reason it's valued that way and in some sense i think you, you could make a pretty good case that this is maybe de- deterministic might be a bit strong but uh, almost unavoidable given the state of, of technology at the time of their creation. Um, these new forms of capital, you can say kind of in hindsight, you know, it's, it's, it's almost ne- necessarily like a counterfactual, but they, they exist that way because there is no digital money. Mm. Um, they, they have constructed the they being these companies have constructed these enormously valuable apparatuses of capital uh, as a as a necessary way of of delivering these services because the actual infrastructure supporting it is extremely costly mm-hmm. and you know they they need to find a way of of at least making revenue on top of that if not profit as well and I think in hindsight counterfactually you can say you maybe wouldn't need to do that if you had digital money that could more directly price what it was people were actually valuing when they consume these services mm-hmm. such that they could conceive of that price themselves rather than you know the classic me which i'm sure we probably quote at some point maybe you know ironically i i, I hope ironically that you know you're um oh what is it if the product is free the service or no if the if the service is free the product is you which again, that's a very, I think that's like a very Zuboff-esque thing to say, and that is identifying the right thing, 
but maybe being unnecessarily angry about what the what the real cause is. So I think mm -hmm. that the hope with with Bitcoin, the reason we go into this at all, really, is that now that there is digital money, we can start to think about how it might be better to engineer these. You know, to start with the I guess the services is the is the more natural way to think about it from a consumer perspective. But then obviously, what you're interested in, Robert, is the capital that goes into providing those services in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe one extra layer of analysis I would add, and this is not something that's uh, from us necessarily, but it, it, uh, it exists out there as uh, things people say, but it, it's that when you compare standard oil to a Google on the side of standard oil, the, playbook really was cornering the supply essentially getting a large part of that supply consolidating the market getting enough of an economy of scale that you could then if you you can have lower costs and you get to keep those because you're such a large player you essentially control mm -hmm. you, you get to set prices um and so the bigger you get, the worse the deal is for consumers. Mm -hmm. And this gets back to the whole idea of consumer protection and why we would want to have antitrust laws and things mm -hmm. like that. The issue with your Googles and your Facebooks is that the reasons, the re well, the reasons why they get so big are not the same. And they're not to do with the supply and they're more to do with the demand side. They're more to do with everyone aggregating on the same platform because there is value in everyone going to the same platform. Mm -hmm. If everybody's on Facebook, there's a clear advantage and that network having more users, there are more mm -hmm. connections that can be made. Mm -hmm. If people use Google, all of the search terms that go on there help improve the algorithm so that the search results get better and things like that. So you're getting a different business model. And if mm -hmm. you were to, so what happened to Standard Oil, AT&T's day eventually were split. They were uh, broken up into loads of little pieces, right? Mm -hmm. If you were to do that with Facebook or let's, let's say Google, if you split it into, you split the search engine, I don't even know how you would do that, but you would somehow split it in, in, in 10 different little companies. What would end up happening is one of the 10 would simply start outgrowing the other nine and mm -hmm. end up being the dominant one again yeah. because you need to it, because whoever gets that traction gets mm -hmm. incrementally better so that you end up you end up in that dominant position again mm -hmm. and there isn't really anything intrinsically evil in that in that growth mm -hmm. and that taking of market share because it just is a nature of the type of businesses that they operate and how they're very different because of the digital factors, because of the network effects, because of the zero incremental cost. Um, it's, it's just a different business model. And then this leads to discussions around how could you have an internet that understands that that business model will exist and is mm -hmm. valuable to people, but also structure it in a way that empowers the individual more than mm -hmm. large enterprises. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's where we're going in terms yeah. of mm. creating infrastructure on which we can build and maybe not have to go to the big walled gardens that a Google and Alphabet, or an Alphabet and a Meta or Facebook. Sorry, I'm changing the words now because <laughs> they're, 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 
so yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. But I think that that extra lim- mm. element is is important to add. It's not novel to us, but it then leads into the next leg of the discussion, which is what you yeah. were alluding to. I, yeah, yeah. I, I'd add a few things to that actually, just to to tie some of this together. Um, that immediately before the the quote that you read out there, Robert, uh, there's I won't read out the whole thing, but it, it, we're we're softly criticizing. Uh, Chris Hughes, who is one of the founders of Facebook, and I think what did he? It was a New York Times editorial or something. So one of the founders of Facebook, but he left relatively early on, uh, and then became very cynical about it and wrote this New York Times op-ed, uh, arguing to break them up. And then we also referenced, I think Elizabeth Warren, I think it was a Medium post, if I remember correctly, yeah. arguing much the same thing around the same time. Um, and given the analysis Sasha just gave you know, our, our pushback to both of them who, who wanted to break them up, right? And they're mm-hmm. invoking antitrust as a, as a legal ground, legal and economic grounds to do so. Mm-hmm. Our pushback is that, well, that won't achieve what, you know, even leaving aside whether what, what they want to achieve is good or not, that won't achieve what they want to achieve because they fundamentally misunderstood why these companies have ended up with the power they have in the first place. Yeah. And I think there's an interesting link to Bitcoin there too, not just to Bitcoin, actually, to loads of things, but obviously we, we'll push it in the direction of Bitcoin mm-hmm. in that they're another, another sort of soft criticism of them would be that basically they don't really understand the, the technology that they're talking about. They seem to think of this as exclusively an economic problem mm-hmm. as if the, you know, as if having categorized them as monopolies really explains everything about the situation and hence they can just have this cookie cutter legal approach that you know this is what we did with monopolies mm-hmm. in the past this is what we'll do now it'll work uh but it won't work because it it's it, it, it's sort of founded on quite a fundamental technical misunderstanding right it, it's they it, it's especially odd in chris Hughes' case i think that it doesn't seem like they've really thought about, in some sense, the physical mechanics of these systems. Yeah. You know, they they just assume that they're 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 considering them far far too much in the abstract, as opposed to how do they actually work? Mm. You know, which we're we're trying to do a better job of. Okay, well, they work this way, therefore these are the consequences. But that I think is also the avenue to to introduce Bitcoin into the discussion that how Bitcoin actually works yeah. is really interesting when, you know, potentially combined with these. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. I've got a lot of questions about that. Um, I guess first I would say, what what is the form of capital that these, I'll call them network businesses, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, again, they tend towards monopoly, but they're not necessarily monopolies, right? There's, there's obviously a lot of free competition um, so what is the form of capital these network businesses are creating? Is it, is it human connection or communications? Like, is that the form of capital that is then enabling people to create more goods? How, is the form of capital they're generating fundamentally different than obviously something like standard? Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I think there's, there is a slight danger here of, getting too bogged down in semantics in, in the sense of thinking that, you know, the way we label these things will somehow alter them in, in mm-hmm. reality. So I do want to be mindful of that I'm not accusing you of that, Robert, if anything, I'm kind of preempting what I might say about it. So I don't fall into that trap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I can think of two 
clear and quite distinct answers. So one of them actually refers back nicely to your last question, which is that there's enormous physical infrastructure that goes into providing what they provide. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the part that, you know, in particular, Zuboff, again, I, I gently criticized her, even though I was also praising her before, um, but her line of thinking and, and the, the relatively mainstream line of thinking attacking Google and Facebook, I think just completely ignores this. You know, they, they, they don't seem to appreciate it. And it's back to this kind of almost technological realism of, you know, what is actually required uh, physically in order mm. to, to um, you know, enable the services they enable. And, and so part of it, uh, or a part of the answer to what is the capital, I think is very clearly that. It's the, it, I, I guess it, it's a bit dry to think of it this way, but in terms of the, the CapEx, tens if not hundreds of billions of dollars i mean we were saying before right maybe into the trillions I, i'm right. not sure exactly what the number is but it's, it's enormous and it's predicated on their economic model which again people clearly uh, voluntarily contribute to yeah. so that's so that's one answer right that they're they're able to combine capital that way and that was part of the quote as well right that it was um yeah continuous redeployment of increasing returns to scale that's that's where that comes from um but i think the what you alluded to in the question, Robert, is is very interesting. is is more philosophically interesting in terms of this mm -hmm. discussion. That yeah, I think they create enormous cultural capital as well. Mm -hmm. I, I think if anything, that's people are aware of that because that's what they immediately conceive of this the service as really being. Mm -hmm. And if anything, that then we maybe don't want to veer into this again, but that's exactly why they have the misunderstanding. It's why, well, it's why they have probably a fair criticism in some cases that if the criticism is precisely that people don't really realize how these things work, then mm -hmm. it's fair. But obviously if, <laughs> if the criticism is itself predicated on not understanding how they work, then it's, it's obviously a bit, a bit misguided. But yeah, I think, I think it's, it's definitely fair to say that the service that they provide, you know, the, the ultimate reason that they are profitable because they have users is, enabling enabling communication i guess uh which is yeah it would be hard to it would be hard to argue that that isn't a form of of almost external capital that they're that they're creating for their users mm -hmm. i think so i don't have a good answer as to what is the type what type of capital they have how different that is but i think if we think about the way in which it's accumulated Mm -hmm. and the value that's or the process that's driving that accumulation what we can point to is on the one side and it's kind of back to what i was saying before a standard oil the secret sauce is in economies of scale on the supply side mm -hmm. so that's very very well understood and we know how to deal with that if it ever gets to a such a dominant position that it can cause issues with monopoly powers, things like that. In the new world, there are different names for it. We, one, one word, one name would be economies of scale on the demand side. And someone like a Ben Thompson would call it aggregation, mm -hmm. aggregation of demand, aggregation theory is his, is his name for it. So essentially the value that you're providing here is that you have coordinated you have gathered gathered such a big group of people to come to one service mm -hmm. and that coordination has 
value because one extra person provides value to everyone else that's also there. Right. So I guess you could say the, the, the type of capital they have is a aggregation theory, aggregation style mm. value or a demand side economies of scale, which is the same way, the same, a different way of saying uh, network effects mm. in a way. Yeah. Like they're all, they're yeah. all somewhat yeah. interchangeable. Like they have, they have, slight differences but i think for the purpose of this discussion mm -hmm. we can broadly say that they are describing similar things yeah i, yeah. Th I think maybe it's a nice segue to to being a bit more explicit about bitcoin yeah almost as like a, a summary of all of this it, a sober analysis again as a certainly as opposed to you know, chris Hughes, elizabeth warren i'd again argue probably also as opposed to, to zoom off and and that more mainstream view is to firstly acknowledge that there are enormous costs and there is vast, valuable infrastructure. Yeah. Also, to acknowledge exactly what Sasha just said, that there's, uh, the, you know, there's clearly incredible value provided by that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Also, to acknowledge, but crucially, to not be confused about the source of the potential social ills of the way in which this demand is is met, mm -hmm. and having, you know, diagnosed these as as quite separate from one another, think about could this have been engineered differently? And I actually think, I think this is the source of my, uh, going right back to what I said at the start, my frustration with the more mainstream position is that I honestly think the more mainstream position assumes the answer is yes, just because they don't like the status quo, mm -hmm. right? It's like, well, of course this could have been engineered differently because, you know, greedy capitalists, rah, 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 or right. whatever. Um, whereas I, I just see that, it, I, I, don't, I think that's not even wrong. It's just not an answer at all because it's so far removed from the technological reality and that actually the answer is no if you're, if you're avoiding an anachronism because with the technology at the time, this was the only way, or certainly the best way, but I think probably the only way to provide these services as well. Uh, but now with bitcoin I, I would say not just with bitcoin it's not like just plugging bitcoin and, and it fixes everything but mm -hmm, bitcoin mm -hmm. provides uh different tools and different incentives that at least give you grounds to propose an alternative and i think it's right. you know this probably will you'll want to go into now but it's definitely to be seen whether the alternative actually is viable or not i i'm certainly not claiming to know you know we don't say that in the book we're not like this is now what's going to happen by the way with facebook and google mm -hmm. um but it is interesting and, and exciting too, I think, that you can at least reasonably articulate it now rather than just, oh, we'll just break them up. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, this is interesting to me. Like I hadn't actually thought so much about the physical computational infrastructure, let's say, like the, the server farms and all that that support Facebook and Google. But that obviously that is capital in the business, right? Mm -hmm. It's... it's um, allowing this business to provide more goods the goods being the actual communications messaging picture posting what you know everything you do in social media and so it because this is where it gets strange for me because the the users of social media as you said earlier if the product is free then you're the product right so the users are technically the product right they're selling user attention to advertisers mm -hmm. that's the revenue model Yet they are at the same time 
those users are also consumers of the goods. Mm-hmm. If the goods are indeed the communications and picture posting yeah. and all that. So in the in these businesses, the product is also the consumer like yeah i mean even even that i wouldn't get too carried away with how perverse it is because in in some sense it's just i I think it's fair to think of it's easier to conceive of this with facebook uh i'll use facebook as an example but very similar logic applies to google Mm -hmm. um it's just advertising taken to its its logical extreme which Mm -hmm. is the advertiser's dream is that they know exactly who they are paying to put the ad in front of. Mm-hmm. And I don't think th- this is, this is part of like what it irks me that people get a bit carried away with, because I don't think anybody would ever have raised this kind of ethical objection in the case of say, uh, um, a- ads in a magazine that is just about some highly niche topic. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you buy, I don't know, like if football, say, right? I it's probably amongst the only mag- physical magazines I've ever bought. I used to buy a lot of football magazines when I was a kid. Um I don't think it makes any sense for someone to buy a football magazine, see an ad for like football shoes and be like, How dare they know I like this? Like, well, they know you like it because you bought the magazine. Right, 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 right. right. Like on it, it's just it's almost comical having to walk through the example because it's 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 just so like clearly no one would do that, right? the the feeling of moral well where the morality comes in is if you had one company that owned all of the magazines <laughs> yeah right yeah maybe yeah. and it's like oh my they just own it and they can see everything and they can track you they can track right. your subscriptions across mm. magazines and then the 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 conclusion would be well let's break them up let's have the football yeah, man maybe, and yeah. sports or whatever <laughs> yeah but it mm. wouldn't work in this case yeah, and you need to understand the technological rails that you're building companies on mm-hmm. to understand their trajectories mm-hmm. and how things work. And if we if we link this back to Bitcoin, imagine if someone said, "Let's break up Bitcoin." So <laughs> no, but it's a yeah, yeah. essentially it's a fork. Yeah, it's some Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. Bitcoin right. Cash is is how you break up Bitcoin. Right. And the thing that's interesting is because there's a network effect one of the two is just going to obliterate the other. Yeah. There's only going right. to be one yeah. fork right. that right. works. Sorry, one of the yeah, one one path on that on, on that uh on that fork that works. Mm. And yeah. that's the same that's the same dynamic that yeah. you get here. I, I wanna just really I want to go back to the magazine example though look I want to just push this further and see if we can break it because I, I thought of some more as you were as you were saying that. It's it's a bit like if yeah, so one company owns all the magazines, but somehow they're also able to know which magazines you're buying. Forget how, just there's some technological they reason they can do that. Or yeah, I guess they have your suspicion, right? So, so, so you're reading the football magazine and then there's an ad for something that is related to the only other magazine you subscribe to. And you're like, wait a minute, how did that end up in here? Yeah that's maybe inching more towards like why people get yeah. offended by it um mm. which I, which i think i think is interesting because you can then at that point you can start to be clearer about okay well what is it here that's actually ethically uh questionable right mm. i don't think it's the advertising i think it's the the feeling of 
surveillance, mm-hmm. which is why the book is called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, right? right. And that, that's it's that line of thinking in Zuboff that I think is is excellent and is and is worth taking seriously. But it's it's the jumbling up of these yeah. of these different analyses of, of of ultimately the same thing that I think is uh, leads you uh, to you know questionable conclusions. And, and I was going to add that that feel that those ethical considerations also come out of those companies being so large mm. that yeah. they and that and they became large for reasons that we've discussed nothing to mm-hmm. do with hurting consumers it's just the nature of the business model mm-hmm. but because they get there they now have a lot of power they have mm-hmm. a lot of resources and they can start doing things which either are anti-competitive or which become creepy and mm-hmm. so is there a way of benefiting, this is a segue, is there a way of benefiting <laughs> mm-hmm. from these this aggregation of consumers, mm-hmm. the network effects? Can you have a network where you do not give the power of the network to one entity mm-hmm. and that entity benefits from having that aggregation mm-hmm. on the supply, on the demand side? Oh, I have a great segue here, right? So again, Warren, Hughes, but probably also Zuboff, etc., all tend to say, and this is the worst of all, right? And just in terms of what irks me, as I mentioned before, they say, you need to own your own data. I'm sure mm-hmm. everybody listening to this has heard that at some point. Mm-hmm. And I would argue quite strongly and probably also mockingly that that doesn't mean anything. Right? Mm-hmm. Or, or at best, requires a, a, a much bigger, uh, you know, it, it has presuppositions of some technological environment in which it does mean something. But the people who say it don't, you know, they don't even know that they don't mean that. They think they mean something, but it's just like, it comes out as gibberish mm-hmm. unless you provide that context. And I think actually the perfect segue now <laughs> is that Bitcoin allows you to try to articulate what that context might be. Mm. In, in real terms rather than just in slogans. Right. If you are a business owner or manager, you should know these three numbers. 36,000, 25, and 1. 36,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, which allows you to streamline accounting, financial management, human resources, and more. NetSuite turns 25 years old this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days rather than weeks, and to drive down cost. And finally, one, because your business is one of a kind. So with NetSuite, you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. NetSuite is everything you need all in one place. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash whatismoney. That's netsuite.com slash whatismoney to get your free KPI checklist. Again, netsuite.com slash whatismoney. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touchscreen and camera on it. Uh, The device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, Like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, It's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. 
And it's a really a, a brand new UI UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code Bitcoin23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Okay, that was um, one of my next questions. That What is the specific way Bitcoin fixes this? And is it just that letting users, let's not say own their own data, but monetize their own data rather than mm-hmm. just I sign up for Facebook, all my activity on there, all my attention is being sold. Right. I get none of that revenue. I just get to consume the communication infrastructure as a good to me, but all my attention is being sold to advertisers. Somehow Bitcoin, a Facebook and a Bitcoinized world now lets the user participate in that revenue. Is that the the shift here? So I'd start with identity in that when you can start paying for things and you can identify yourself because you own your credentials and Mm. they're not owned by a third party Mm. that you enter in, you you enter their walled garden and now you can operate. So you sign into Google and now you're in a safe environment. You have your own keys. You have your own credentials. You do not need a third party to verify who it is that you are. Mm. You are interacting with different services based Mm on you and you alone. And you can verify who you are through simply your own mm. uh, credentials that you are in control of. So you're not relying on a third party. So that, that's the first thing here where you're still, when <clears> you yeah, think yeah. sovereignty of the individual and things like mm. that. <laughs> that's the first thing is you do not need anyone to verify your identity. Right. So I don't know how, what you want to De-risk you from platform Yeah, that's risk and, I probably would have mentioned that a bit later, but yeah, okay. I think you're probably right. Uh, no, I, I would have mentioned it later because it would have occurred to me later, but I think it is probably sort of conceptually prior. Um, and and it, I don't know how deep you want to get sort of technically, uh, partly because eventually I'll get out of my technical depth as well, which, which would not be great. So we've got to stop before that. But uh, something exactly like uh, Noster, which I don't think existed at the time we were writing the book or, or it it may have in very, very early form, mm-hmm. but I guess the more, the, the humbler version would be, we didn't know about it. So it's not in there, <laughs> but it'll be in the second, it, completely seriously, it will have to be in the second edition because of what's mm-hmm. happened since. Um, Noster is a, is a perfect example of this and that it's, it's completely reliant on, well, I wouldn't even say it's reliant. It's, it's, that's making it seem a lot more profound than it is. It just is credentials. It's, it's, mm-hmm based around the idea of having sovereign credentials but crucially it i gotta be careful exactly how i say this but maybe if i say it loosely enough it it won't be it won't offend anybody it relies on bitcoin right Mm -hmm. it's not worth going into exactly how it works and, and exactly how it relies on bitcoin but in order to um in order to provide a means of monetizing the infrastructure, because all these costs still exist, right? Basically, yeah. what one of the things about what Noster does is it takes, it's not exclusively Facebook and Google, but it takes Facebook and Google-esque infrastructure and distributes them, right? Mm-hmm. So it encourages not quite everybody, I don't think that's exactly right, but encourages a 
distributed network of people to each run part of the same ultimately physical infrastructure. And in order to incentivize that, you simply need Bitcoin. There's just no way of doing it prior. And it's interesting because, so to to get a little bit more technical again, there, there were proposals for doing this without Bitcoin that basically got nowhere precisely because of the cost issue mm-hmm. and ultimately you know where where they they were very very similar to Nostra in that it was it just dependent on on public and private keys like that that's mm-hmm. actually what sasha mentioned before you don't necessarily need value for in in theory let's say mm-hmm. right it's really just about being able to prove who you are which is readily achieved with public and private keys mm-hmm. um, it's when you when you try to scale it and you realize that there are real world costs basically, mm-hmm. because you can, I mean, this is even true on Nostra, but it, it, it's interesting to think about exactly how it's avoided that if it was only dependent on identity, uh, it would be completely vulnerable to a civil attack, right? Because mm-hmm. you can just make up as many identities as you want and claim right. to be as many people as you want. But the thing is that you identity alone is not enough. You need identity and value. Right. And that's what, which is a very nice way of just, you know, packaging like, okay, well, that's Nostra and that's more lightning, I guess, in Bitcoin, but Nostra's identity, lightning is value. Together, they, you know, you can actually achieve something. Right. Yeah. Again, this whole, like this broader theme of Bitcoin bringing the consequences or properties of physical reality into digital reality somehow right like the, mm-hmm. the identity yeah. needs to have some cost to it so that you don't get the yeah. civil attack yeah. um is it again these terms get muddied for me a little bit but like almost the network effect let's just say of facebook right the network effect everyone's there so me as a consumer i prefer to be there because everyone's already there and then as joining like I'm another node on the network, I've increased the number of connections exponentially, right? So every new user increases the number of connections exponentially. So that gives it this kind of Metcalf's law, whatever valuation model that other old companies don't have, right? These network businesses have a, have different valuation multiples that didn't exist in Standard Oil, for instance. Um, is that the supply? Is it is it like th- that's almost what is being... S- well, no, what are they? they're selling the attention be careful about what what exact good you're even talking about because and i think this goes to again what a lot of the mainstream confusion is around how facebook and google work that right. the the only the only economic exchange in facebook is between facebook and advertisers right so the supply i His guess would right? be yeah it would be it, um yeah, well, it's kind of yeah. You can conceive of it in a few different ways. It's it's ad space, but it's it's also like services around the ad space because it's it's highly targeted ad space mm-hmm. that has been you know concocted basically on the spot based yeah. on knowing so much about the people who are providing their own data mm-hmm. for free. Yes, um, there's there's different ways you can conceive of it, but but that's where the actual economic exchange happens in Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, which is confusing. Yeah, I mean, I think most people. Probably at this point, they're vaguely aware of this, but I, I even now, I would imagine most people probably couldn't explain it correctly, like completely right. correctly. Often, you even hear people say, 
Facebook sells your data. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is right. which is it's, is against their their own interests because mm. they want to yeah. keep the data. They yeah, that's yeah, that's really good actually. Yeah, they, they absolutely don't sell the data, which is also it's back to the whole oh you should own your own data. Well, what does that mean? It, it's just again absent context or in the context of Facebook where it's inappropriate, you know, this, this doesn't really mean anything. Neither does Facebook sells your data. It, mm-hmm. They don't sell your data. I mean, you know, firstly, because they sell something else, which we just articulated mm-hmm. and, and we had difficulty articulating it because it's confusing, yeah. but, but also because it's not clear without even me yeah. selling your data. They use your data to yeah. sell something. Yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. It just strikes me as a little strange and maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, but if supply is, ad space mm-hmm. or user attention yeah demand is also it's not ad space but it's user attention right people are using it to either get attention or pay attention to other users so just as weird I, I i appreciate your point that it's advertising taken to its ultimate conclusion but there's something a little different here too yeah it is it is very different yeah it's um well i think even the magazine example is, is maybe instructive again just because it's it's simpler in a way right. that, you know, you could, you but could the magazines are free, right? That's a, that's a difference too. Cause typically people buy the magazine, then they get served the advertisements in addition. Yeah. Well, actually, magazine. no, I mean, I don't typically, yes. Um, I think that's more that that's, that comes from constraints in that business that are unrelated to precisely what we're talking about, because you mm-hmm. could have a free magazine. Right. Yep. And, and there, there are such. There are. Yeah. Yeah. Women, right. Yep. You can have magazines that are free and are completely supported by the ads. The zero marginal cost is the bigger difference. Yeah. Right? yeah. Us yeah. Trying to print the magazine, to ship the magazine. Right. All those things. And well, yeah. And and then the, the, the ads themselves are not as valuable because they're not as targeted. And so right. you can't make up the mm. all of your operating expenses simply from selling the ads. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought of a really interesting way of characterizing all this actually that again maybe sets the stage for a good discussion of like the relevance of Bitcoin and Nostra and so on, which is that okay, yes, they're selling ad space, but that that feels weird because that feels like so far removed from how people are actually using it. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that they're they've done a huge amount else in order to create the ad space in the first place. Mm-hmm. And basically what they've done is create a I'm going to be very precise with my language here. They've created a communication protocol that has the network effects, you know, aside from them being a business, aside from like literally just, this is maybe more to your original question, Robert, about, you know, what is the capital here? Like the, the, the novel ability to communicate is clearly really valuable. And you can tell because people use it at enormous scale. They've created this, novel communications protocol oh and actually uh they've also created a means of credentialing your identity to use the novel communications protocol Mm -hmm. they've offered that for free such that people find enormous value in it and billions of people use it and only once they've done all of that do they then have you know a captive audience basically to sell ad space against. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's a super interesting framing to then compare, like to meaningfully compare to Nostra and Bitcoin or, or whatever. It doesn't have to be, you know, mm-hmm. I'm using Nostra because I'm familiar with it right now, but mm-hmm. it's more the 
it's more the paradigm of like what is Nostra represent that I think is more interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, again, so what drives these network businesses toward monopoly is, I guess the crux of it is that zero marginal cost of production. Like that's what, really pushes them I think there are two things yeah yeah, yeah. I I think, so you want to so there are a few things the large upfront investment yeah. with then zero marginal cost so yeah. whoever makes that investment first and then reaps the rewards is able to reinvest right. and as you reinvest you grow your network metcalf's law yeah. you get incremental value for your users so once you're up and running it's really hard to catch up right yeah and so what I add to that though is that so one, once you're in that position, um, and this is this is going to be weird because I'm I'm conscious that this is going to come across as like somehow a, a criticism of capitalism itself, or at least the capitalistic tendencies of these companies, which is not how I mean it. But we can come back and address that later, I guess. Uh, they are private companies, right? Mm -hmm. They they have a, a at the very least, I guess, a duty to their shareholders. But in in a, in a more fundamental sense, you know, they just the capital that has gone into them is return seeking, right? They want to make mm -hmm. a profit. And so there is no incentive for them whatsoever to decouple the utility of the credential and the utility of the protocol from the means of monetizing them. Mm -hmm. And I think in some sense, it's, we've sort of iterated this in conversation, which I think is quite funny. Like I, I'm, I'm now edging towards a slightly better appreciation of what it might mean to like own your own data. But again, it only makes sense conceptually. It makes no technical sense in their, in their mm -hmm. case. Um, but that's the fascinating contrast to, to Bitcoin and Nostra where all of these things are naturally separated and yeah. you instead think about how would you provide a service on top of the protocol, mm -hmm. uh, which people utilize their credentials to access whereas in the case of facebook and google they're all the same thing the credential the protocol the service in a kind of a fluffy sense of like me communicating with someone else but also the harder economic sense of me being shown ads mm -hmm. it's all the same and it's all let's say selfishly motivated um again i'm wary there because i'm the solution is not you know ah goddamn greedy capitalists break them up the solution mm -hmm. is understanding the technical reality that that creates that in the first place it's, mm -hmm. it's the way you're saying it's bundling a number of things mm -hmm. if if you were so you could unbundle it which is another <laughs> way of saying yeah, yeah. you could break them up but break them, <laughs> yeah. no, breaking them up yeah, yeah. in a different way yeah not breaking them up in the we'll have three companies doing the exact same thing but different sets different parts of that value chain are provided by different services and by doing it that way you mm. provide more sovereignty to individuals yeah. and which is what nostr is doing sort of right like NOSTR. i think so yeah i think yeah. i think it's ultimately and yeah it like you have to be clear about the incentives right like that's yeah. that's a perfect introduction to then like how does how does bitcoin fix this that facebook and google have I wouldn't even say no incentive. They have a very strong disincentive to unbundle. I'm not, and again, I'm, I'm not even sure what that would mean technically, but even if you came up with a way that that could be technically achieved, they absolutely wouldn't do it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they're, I, I wouldn't, again, I would be careful here to not say like, oh, fiat causes this, but it just is a consequence of, I wouldn't say fiat. It's mm -hmm. a lack of digital money yeah. right. uh, is what sets up 
the incentives such that we get Google and Facebook. And is it the digital digital money having introducing such lower transaction costs that then allows that to be like you can have something more distributed like Nostra versus something that has to be centralized like yeah, Twitter, for I instance? Yeah, I think transaction costs, uh, censorship resistance is also really mm. important yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's, there's a few things. It's, yeah. I was going to say it, it, it would be a bit like if in the physical world, when you when you enter the marketplace, you're only you need to rely on companies to even exist in a way. Mm-hmm. That it's a bit weird to think about it, but when you go online, you you're you're going you're uh, on your computer. Oh, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. only through the interaction with Google that you then become yourself. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's just someone mm, yeah. typing on a keyboard. And who knows mm. who that is? Mm. And so it's only when you interact with a company that you that you gain an identity. Mm. Mm. Whereas in the real world, when you enter into a supermarket, that's not that's not the, the it's not the second you enter into the supermarket that oh okay okay that's Robert. I didn't mm-hmm. yeah. he was on the street, I had no idea who that was. Right. But right. Sainsbury's has rubber stamped him. It's like exactly, but it's and mm. and it's about you have you have your own rights. You have your own, uh, yeah. I would say let's say rights, freedoms, things like mm-hmm. that before you step into an inter- and right. uh, before you interact yeah. with a company. Yeah. Whereas yeah. when you do it on the internet, that's not really the case, mm. and that could be different if we had the infrastructure. To give people the all the things we've been talking about identity, so own their own data. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, own your own data. Because when people say own your own data or own your own data, what they mean is we will put some really, really strict rules around what Facebook can do with mm-hmm. the data that right. they have on their servers. Right. Because nobody gets to see it, and even if people could see it, it probably would be pretty useless in the sense yeah, that it's, yeah. it feeds into specifically their their algorithms and and it's part of it's yeah. a bit like taking notes and it's someone's hard. reading your notebook and <laughs> yeah. like, i can't make any it's, sense yeah it's more more about privacy and or it is kind of this really bizarre category error almost it's like it's not even something you can i think own. it's, it's having, like knowledge it's half control <laughs> half control over what they what data they have gathered about yeah. that's yeah. that that framing is completely fair and i we can have a political debate as to <laughs> whether or not we support it but i think that that frame is fair and has some merits there are some merits mm. to arguing when we talk about the the power that these companies I think, these companies accumulate i think i think it has merits only politically though it doesn't lead to a, an at all fruitful technical discussion no technically no right. no yeah. Te- on the technical side it's basically just i don't like well, is or, it, or, or, or they, morally, there are issues. That, yeah, and they're social. They're not technical issues. Yeah, aren't if they? In, this it needs to be a technical fix, and yeah. Uh, my impression when people invoke that term "own your own data" is they're referring more to like selectively disclosing what, the activity you're doing online, privacy, mm-hmm. resistance to deplatforming. So I think exactly Sasha's framing just there is really useful because. I think, again, it is this sort of subtle category error of assuming just because it's it's very naturally the case in the real world that basically nobody's surveilling you all the time, right? Nobody's yeah. following you around and seeing right. exactly what you're doing. Um, but that doesn't really make any sense in an online context because it, it's 
the point is basically that there's no good analogy, but if you, if you wanted to force the analogy, it would be something like, you know, you, you can't, you can't buy anything or even really do anything without first having gone into a store and having an employee of the store follow you around, which mm -hmm. is almost like, as I'm saying it, this is, I, I'm not even sure what this means. Mm -hmm. Like it's quite, it's, it's kind of dumb, mm -hmm. uh, but in the, in the online context, you have to think of it as as being something along those lines right hence hence there's no analogy like there, there just is no analogy that really works well here which i think is why people get confused and why they object to it because they fail to appreciate the the technical angle of well it it couldn't really be any other way like what are you actually proposed this is what should be said in these circumstances right, right. are you actually proposing an alternative to this or are you just saying i don't like this right 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 yeah, maybe I might be stretching the analogy here too, but it's almost like when you go out into the world, you know, especially like moving between countries, right? You're going to identify yourself with a passport, mm. right? There's some central registry of identity that's allowing you to pass through a gate. But you could also, you know, be a stranger in a foreign land and not identify yourself to anyone and sort of have mm -hmm. some semblance of identity privacy. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know if that's useful, but... um to just to, the, the owning your own data, the reason it technically makes no sense, this is a question, not a, a statement, is because you can't own something that's non-scarce. Is that what the technical impossibility of that I think, is? I think there's quite a few problems with oh, it. What, what I was getting at at the end, which I think is similar to what you're, you're mentioning now, Robert, is that it's if you're trying to take this really seriously and, and literally the data in question is not the kind of thing that can be owned. It's mm -hmm. really just knowledge. It's right. What, what, what it actually, mm -hmm. what is meant in that case is the product of surveillance. Mm -hmm. So again, to, to maybe to force the physical analogy just for the sake of it, it would be like if, you were in fact you had like i don't know somebody hired a private investigator or something to follow you around mm -hmm. and they took a note of everything you did and then you turn around and say something like you can't know that anymore like mm -hmm. you're not allowed to know right that. right right <laughs> i don't know what that means like yeah. i really don't know how yeah, to yeah, interpret yeah, yeah. in a coherent way <laughs> right you can take your file but then as you said, if you can copy paste it and just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can take their notebook away, but like, what if they just remembered? Right. Yeah. And it's the, the thing. It's also back to how specific that information is, because if instead of having someone tell you, you use cameras to tr track someone, you yeah. see, oh, every yeah. shelf, it would yeah. it, the data would be something like on aisle four, they touched section B seven, and picked up SKU one two two five AD. Like that would be the data. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. meant you went to the pizza, frozen pizza section and pick, picked up a margarita pizza and, mm -hmm. and you keep picking up margaritas so and now they know you like margarita. Mm -hmm. But that's the data. It's, anyways, I think we're getting in the weeds a bit, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well I so maybe this circles back to a question I wanted to ask earlier. It's like the the data is speech or text or you know it's 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 a non-scarce good. I don't know if that makes it a good or not, but it's it's just like when you send well, it. Right? I don't think I don't think it is a good again because that's what I was saying. Maybe it's not sell the good, right? So it's just a non. 
it's a non-scarce item. I don't know what term to put here, but it's like when you send an email, right? You don't actually send the email. You the email stays where it was, and you've copied it and pasted it to someone else, yeah. sort of thing. So to say you own an email, it's like saying you own the letter A. You know, like doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it okay to maybe draw a tenuous connection here? These network effects that these network businesses achieve, is it because they're dealing in data, which is something more like language and languages tend to have mm. these network effects? There's obviously probably another tenuous connection to Bitcoin here. Like it has a, a network effect because it's, I mean, money's a weird one, right? Because it's both data and has some physical instantiation to make mm. it scarce. Um, is that what? Is it more, are these software-based, network-based businesses selling something that's more like language? So that's what's causing these massive um, network effects. I think uh, yes and no. Um, Maybe I'm just should... asking about the nature of data as a commodity, yeah, whether I, I think, or not think, it even is a commodity. I think we've touched on most of the sort of parts of the answers to this, just in, in separate contexts. Um, I, I think that, I'm trying to think what order to even go through these in. Um, I'm drawing a blank. Do you want to? Did you have something you want to jump in with? Maybe uh, your definition of software as any. How do you put it again? Any. Oh, do you thought, like considering it as capital? Yeah, like where the the. It's any logical. Yeah, just like set, coherent thoughts. Coherent yeah. thought. That's that's been structured mm -hmm. and can because it's been written down can now be executed yeah mm -hmm. it's almost like having an idea or mm -hmm. any set of our yeah an algorithm or any set of instructions now that they've been written mm -hmm. you can run them the instructions are there the idea is out there now mm -hmm. running it requires hardware which mm -hmm. there's a physical limitation to it but the marginal cost of running that yeah. is fairly yeah. small that's a good way of getting so it. So that's yeah. why it's linked to language in a way. Like it's yeah. linked to thought. I don't know if you want to... Yeah, no, that's good. This is, thank you, because this, <laughs> this is providing me with what I was blanking on before. Um, the the fact that it is at, at once capital in some sense, but information, probably in a more important sense, mm -hmm. means that the marginal cost is not quite zero, um, but it's very, very close to zero. Mm -hmm. And I think where that leads in terms of writing all of this off is there have been such a thing as network effects in businesses before, right? We didn't mm -hmm. invent that term to explain Google or Facebook, mm -hmm. but there have probably never been such intense network effects before right. for that reason, for this, this, uh, this novel combination of use and cost that to, to, to bring up one other point we've mentioned a few times as well that in order to understand properly i think you need to you need to have some appreciation at least of of the the technological reality that's causing it right and, right. and again as opposed to just oh it's a monopoly or, or whatever right yeah. now that's very interesting and then so again um well what's coming up for me here is like well knowledge itself is a very important form of capital right? Like perhaps yeah, yeah. one of yeah. the most fundamental forms of capital. Ayn Rand goes, I just finished Atlas Shrugged not long ago. She says something like 
try to create, you know, try to make your next meal without relying on the things you've learned from the past, right? Like all of this knowledge mm-hmm. has been accumulating yeah, yeah. over time. You can't just trying to make a sandwich yeah. from scratch. Well, one, one interesting thing though, I don't know if you, you may not want to go into this at all. It might be too much of a tangent, but, uh, Ayn Rand is very strongly in favor of intellectual property. And that's, that's a weird one. We are, well, I'll speak for myself, but I am very strongly against it. Yeah. Uh, that's just maybe a more moderate version of that. But, uh, but for reasons that, talk, maybe it isn't that much of a tangent, actually, for reasons that touch on a bunch of what we've talked about so far. You think she's that way because she wrote books? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't want to uh, but I, the, her position. Yeah, the, um, the, the book's excellent, but that was kind of a side point, but knowledge okay so knowledge is capital but knowledge is non-scarce non-rivalrous non-excludable all these things which makes intellectual property kind of a dumb idea in my opinion i agree with you um that's interesting though like so capital we've defined it a few different ways but it doesn't really have to be scarce even right it can have this yeah definitely yeah well i think that's that's exactly what i meant by saying that the objection to intellectual property. I don't think we should really go into that too much. Yeah. It is kind of off topic, but the objection to it, our objection at least, is that if you are really strict about that, you find yourself having to argue for completely artificially and also violently mm-hmm. restricting the proliferation of capital, mm-hmm. which right. is like exactly the opposite of what we are advocating right. for. We're saying let's proliferate capital and let's not be violent. Right, right, right. That's why I get so worked up about it. Which is a strong case against state intervention and intellectual property in general, right? Yeah. Like the fact that Microsoft can sell this proprietary software all over the world and backed by the force of the state mm-hmm. if someone copies their ideas, you know, like it, I don't know, it, it inhibits the proliferation of capital, basically. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, so, something else, just to drive that a bit further, and again, I'm only I'm bringing this up because it, it does touch on things that we, we've spoken about very recently, that I, I think even calling, even using the phrase intellectual property is uh, unhelpful and misleading because yeah. it's, it's not property. That's not even what's It's, it's an oxymoron. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's a state-granted monopoly on An idea. largely behavior <laughs> and in some contexts, property. Yeah. You, you basically, you can't, I don't even want to call it intellectual property, but if you insist on it, you can't have intellectual property and actual property. They're completely right. analysis one another. Right. Yeah. It's like a state authorized micro monopoly on use of yeah. some knowledge or idea. Yeah. Or some language even. I think yeah. that that's more, more right. interesting and more objectionable interpretation. Right. And, and that's actually something this is, this maybe is, is worthwhile. It's kind of right on the cusp of being an unworthy tangent, but in the case of software specifically, I think that's where it becomes by far the most objectionable because mm-hmm. on the one hand, software is, you know, it's information. It's, you could say it's a language as well. I don't mm-hmm. mean in the sense of like different programming languages. I mean, it's slightly more philosophically, you know, all software is a form of language. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it is also capital, it's also, um, it, 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 you know, it has economic uh, potential energy. It has the means of generating wealth down the line. Mm-hmm. If you insist on whether you want to call it intellectual property or, you know, as I would say, just be more honest and say restricting with violence how people utilize right. the the capital, 
and I, it's not even how people utilize it. It's really more like stopping them using it at all. Right. Um, that's the the only, I mean, not the only, but the the main certainly effect of this is um, scaring people out of creating wealth. Right. That, yes. that otherwise they would create and that would harm nobody. Right. And it's fundamentally, I guess we could say, in the scope of that, it's intellectual property, quote unquote, is at odds with the freedom of speech, basically. Like they yeah, can't, yeah, I think definitely. Yeah. They almost can't live in the same world, yet somehow we have, somehow we do, I don't, in fiat world. <laughs> now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it. Legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. There's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. And I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? So with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a coin join. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make coin joins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Okay, that's all really good. I, so the last thing I want to ask you about this, you, you go on later to describe you're describing the nature of the internet and there's a couple of uh, sections in your chapter seven free as in freedom versus free as in beer yeah <laughs> and you may you make the point that the internet is free as in beer uh, so this is a analogizing like values versus cost so the internet is i guess free to use it's not completely free to use but it's uh well what are the like back to facebook and google right right okay there we go the network-based services are free but it comes at the expense of free as in freedom something like that so could you just maybe talk sure, about yeah. what that um, means well that that expression i think i'm remembering this correctly and that it comes from richard stallman i'm 90 percent sure that's true um and he he coined the expression or okay if it wasn't him it was definitely somebody in the free software movement Mm -hmm. and whoever it was coined the expression uh, in order to both kind of wittily draw attention to, but then, you know, make more serious points about the fact that in English, free, the word free has these two completely different 
meanings. Mm-hmm. And then that's actually really unhelpful for, or was at the time very unhelpful for the free software movement because people misunderstood. They meant free as in freedom, yes. but they were frequently misunderstood as meaning free as in beer. Right. And so their, their concern, which is in some sense, it, I guess superficially it's a, it, it's, it's a legal argument they're making, but I think it's fair to say, you know, in light of the conversation we're having, that it's, it's a cultural one as well, mm-hmm. that software should be free as in freedom, mm-hmm. as in everybody should be able to use any software and probably more importantly right. or more practically importantly, uh, modify and redistribute software yes. however they like without any threat of violence against them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where that I, I'm kind of I'm alluding to both the expression, but I think the you know the tenets of, of the right. free software in the first place by by bringing this up, which is in a it's, way is there... also important. Like you you do you know we've talked about this already right? that, that embedding value in the data and in the communications is extremely useful. So that having yes. that concept is is worthwhile. Um, but I think free as in freedom is probably more important. <laughs> Yeah, and if you consider, again, a lang- natural language, English, for instance, as kind of an open source software, mm-hmm. sort of, it's restating yeah. the freedom of speech again, right? It's like you shouldn't mm-hmm. be able to use violence against people for things that they say or software that they run, uh, et cetera. So, yeah, I thought that's... Can I, can I just be super, super pedantic? Yes. <laughs> and maybe one or two listeners will, will thank me for this because they'd have been mad if I didn't say it. Uh, you should be careful in distinguishing between open source software and, and free software. And usually you would say free and open source, mm-hmm. because I don't think it makes any sense to have free and yet not. Well, I guess it's possible, but it's it's not really practically relevant. The, the difference being that open source basically only means that you have to make human readable source code available. Mm-hmm. But most, if probably not literally all, well, no, not literally all, because Bitcoin's an example of one, but um, most open source software is not free. It's still heavily licensed in terms of, so right. you can read it, um, but you can't necessarily do what you want with it, which is, and this is actually, this goes back to why uh, Stolman and or <laughs> whoever that, I, that I'm forgetting coined this expression in the first place and, and were themselves so pedantic about this language because they saw open source and they basically lost this battle so they were right to be mad about it. They saw open source, you know, the legal concept, but also, again, also the cultural concept as being a kind of a, what would you, what would you say, like a, a corporate or a corporatized usurpation of their movement. Mm. That it's it's like a watered down, you know, almost state friendly in some way version that kind of aligns with intellectual property just about enough mm-hmm. to be you know, to get a good reception, but actually it's completely gutted the the philosophical underpinnings of it. Mm, mm. And Bitcoin would be free and open source. Yes, Bitcoin is free and open source. Nostra is free and open source. Right, right, right. The opposite, if it were just free, it would be like saying nobody can run the Bitcoin code base except for (laughs) you release it. You mean if it was just open source, not if it's just free. No, no, it's free, and there's, there's, uh, you have uh, an intellectual property mm-hmm. around it, so no one can run it. 
Yeah. As no one can use it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, exactly, think yeah. Only one person would be running it, and then we'd be offering yeah, no it as a free to. service. But yeah. they would mm. be like, I don't even. It kind of doesn't really make sense, but it's mm. you're flipping it on his head. As well, it. actually, something that you could you could sort of tone down the example in a way that could be believable. And I'm actually thinking about you know the various shenanigans that Craig Wright has been up to. Actually. <laughs> probably actually be careful exactly what I claim he's been up to, but um, for exactly this reason, by the way, for, right, you know, right. concerns around intellectual property and how yeah. stupid it is yeah. uh, and how violent it is more to the point. Yeah. Uh, it would be something like, you know, you, you can run it, but you can't fork it. Like if, if you ever release mm. Bitcoin cash or whatever, or like maybe even, you know, if you try to, if you try to privately implement your own bit, say, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or if you try to set up a test net or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, you can't do that. We'll sue you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, it, it, with that kind of thing in mind, like clearly Bitcoin benefits from probably the free part more than the open. Well, that uh, is kind of apples to oranges, but um, yes, in summary, Bitcoin is free. Yes. So and open source, <laughs> free yeah. and open source software. So is Bitcoin? I don't know, instrumental, I guess, in changing the internet f- from free as in beer or let's say internet-based services mm-hmm. as free as in beer to free as in freedom? I think it could be. Uh, I think I, I, I flagged this before that I don't want to be too either triumphalist or deterministic about it. Right. Clearly not there yet. You know, I've mentioned Nostra a bunch of times before. Like as, as of the time of recording this, Nostra is very small very immature kind of a toy obviously meaning no disrespect to anybody who's worked on it i think they would say that themselves if they're if they're honest but but at the same time seems to be a a very sound blueprint for how these things should be approached and how they should be engineered um and so i think and and you know You'd have said very similar things about Bitcoin not too long ago too, right? I mean, even in the case of Bitcoin, you probably now, um, you know, you wouldn't say it's it's finished by any, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, neither technically nor nor socially, but likewise, seems to be clearly going in the right direction. Seems right. to be clearly a, a sound kind of pun sort of intended, um, you know, basis for engineering that particular system mm-hmm. as well. So the the groundwork is there. The theory is or seems to be sound as far as we can tell um just practically there's a long long way to go yeah yes so the, the bitcoin time timestamp gives you the infrastructure for to build things on because you now have and this is from the book as well i'm just picking up on some some stuff here basically it's giving you a digital sc- scarcity consensus identity and on top of that, developers can look to build services that we can't even conceive of. So you have new rails on which you can build new services. Now, we're not, this is not a deterministic argument. We're not saying it will take X years and this will be yeah, right, the right, shape right. of things to come. We have no sense for it. But at least it feels like you now have the ability to do something that was not possible before, mm-hmm. which led to businesses that we've been discussing yeah, that yeah. have to operate a walled garden system. And that's now being 
um, there is another way of doing it now. There's a brand new toolkit, at least. The yeah, implications exactly. of that hard to f foresee.